This podcast contains graphic or mature material. Depictions of violence, murder, and the death of a minor child are discussed in detail in this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the bonus content. We are the Cold Case Crew, and if you are here, you know that we investigate some of the oldest cold cases around in hopes of giving new life to a decades-old story that has long since been silenced. My name is Whitney. It's Ashley. And I'm Beth. First off, I want to thank everyone who has subscribed to our Patreon. This is the first episode in our Blind Reaction series. So basically what happens here is I, Whitney, or at another point, Beth or Ashley, will randomly research a selected cold case and present the case to the other two. So in this case, I will present it to Ashley and Beth without giving them any information. Ashley and Beth will then comment and make observations solely based on what is being presented to them in real time. This gives you, the listener, a little insight into our process. Though most of the cold cases we research on our main channel are local to us in West Virginia, the cases presented through the bonus content will be randomly selected from all over the United States. And as a member of our Patreon at the $5 level, you will gain access to all our bonus blind reaction podcasts that go up bi-weekly. Are you girls ready to begin? Yes. Yes. So for our first episode, I thought it would only be fitting to take you back to my roots, to the Lone Star State, Texas. <laughs> the year is 1979, and Elizabeth Lynn Barkley of Dallas, Texas, is only seven years old and in the first grade. Elizabeth was described by her teachers as an independent girl and a natural-born leader among her peers. Though she was also described as gutsy, she had a good sense about her. Her mother even stated that Elizabeth, despite being so young, showed a resilience that some adults aren't even capable of. Her parents, David and Linda Barkley, had divorced, and she lived with her mother and her brother in the Westlake apartment complex at 9620 Starlight. Her father lived in San Francisco, California, and here is a picture of Elizabeth for your reference. Let me pull her up. There she is. She's so cute. She's adorable. I know. She's a cute little girl. Well, I just have to say, Elizabeth is a very strong name, so I can understand how she is independent and a natural-born leader. I wonder why you think that. (laughs) (laughs) Around 7 p.m. on Tuesday, October 23rd, 1979, Elizabeth, along with her younger brother, Scotty, as well as a friend, J.R. Potter, set out to a local grocery store to pick up ice cream as an errand for Elizabeth's mother, Linda. It's important to note that Elizabeth, at seven years old, was the oldest of the group, with J.R. being around five years old and Scotty only being three at the time. It was not out of the ordinary for the trio to head to the store, which was only a few blocks away from the apartments that the children lived at. The children proceeded along Community Drive to the 2900 block of West Northwest Highway in Dallas. They were only about a block away from their apartment when a 1974 Buick pulled up alongside the children. The car was said to have been a dark color, two-door sedan with a trunk that wouldn't close properly. The man, who was of African-American descent, proceeded to open up the passenger side door before exposing himself to the children. After getting out of the vehicle, he headed straight for Elizabeth. When Elizabeth began to scream and fight back, the man began to strike back at her while he carried her to the vehicle. He was even said to have threatened to drown her, according to the two children that witnessed the abduction. There are two stories attached to the threat of drowning that, for continuity's sake, I want to point out. 
One, it's said that he threatened to drown Elizabeth to get her to keep quiet and stop fighting back during the abduction. And then the other thing that was said is that he threatened the boys that if they told anyone, he would drown Elizabeth as a means to keep them quiet. Uh, how traumatic. I mean, that's horrible for those poor little boys. I mean, for her and her the, and the boys. boys. I mean, five and three. I mean, I cannot imagine. I'm sure that stayed with them their entire lives. Like, that's, that's horrible. Tra- I mean, it's traumatizing for her, but it's also traumatizing for those two kids. Yes. Before they knew it, Elizabeth was gone. The boys ran as fast as they could back to the apartment and reported the abduction to Linda, Elizabeth's mother, and George Potter, Jr.'s father. Linda remembered that Scotty was crying in an odd way and was visibly scared and upset. The parents retraced the kids' steps immediately, searching nearby convenience stores and combing the streets, but Elizabeth was nowhere to be seen. It is then that they reported the girl's abduction to the police. I wonder if they took it seriously. Elizabeth's abductor, (laughs) as previously stated, was African-American. He was estimated to have been between the ages of 30 and 35, and he stood about 5 foot 10 inches tall and was of a stocky build. He had long sideburns, which was a popular trend at the time among the African-American community. Now, Elizabeth was only 40 pounds and stood about 3 feet 6 inches tall. She would have weighed nothing to a 30-something-year-old. Yeah. And didn't really stand a chance in her attempts to fight back. Because of the young age of the boys who witnessed the abduction, police were skeptical of the descriptions the children had given at first. However... Several outside witnesses corroborated the boy's description and reinforced what the children had told authorities. Thank God for that. I mean, were there like adults around that had seen this happen or? Well, I mean, hopefully they would have helped or something if there was. One witness watched the entire scene unfold from his apartment window, (sighs) stated that the man driving the sedan was repeatedly hitting something in the back of the vehicle as he was driving away. And another witness confirmed that they could hear screaming coming from the area of the abduction. What the hell? I mean, like, nobody did anything. I don't understand that. I'm a little bit confused as to why there weren't more witnesses. This is Dallas, Texas we're talking about here. This is busy streets. How did more than two people not see this? Yeah. Why were they walking by themselves? Because it was 1979. Simpler times. It was a simpler time. Okay. The night Elizabeth disappeared, Dallas police jumped into action immediately. The department conducted an all-points bulletin and called in police helicopters to aid in the search for the young girl. Afraid that the kidnapper might have tried to drown Elizabeth, they searched nearby Bachman Lake and the surrounding areas. Bachman Lake was only about a mile from the apartments where Elizabeth lived. Officers followed up on local known sex offenders as well as potential matches for the vehicle in question. As the search continued, police extended their searches to deserted areas such as the Trinity River Bottoms, nearby creek beds, and ravines. They even searched well-used trash containers and anywhere they believed a body could be stashed. An anonymous tip led investigators to Mountain Creek Lake, where they claimed the young girl's body could be found, but no trace of the young girl turned up. That is just so sad. During the first week of the investigation, one of three potential suspects revealed itself to police. A 20-year-old Dallas resident called and reported that another man gave him 50 bucks and a note to turn into police. The note was a ransom note that claimed the girl would remain unharmed if 10K would be dropped off at a residence along the 1600 block of Pennsylvania Avenue in Dallas. 
Investigator C.W. Hudson agreed to meet the man at the payphone at the intersection of Holmes and Pennsylvania Avenue to complete the transaction. The man was then promptly taken into custody, and the second man referenced was nowhere to be seen. Once in custody, the man admits to making the call, but claims it was the other male, a tall African-American in his 30s, with a gray mustache, who told him that if he were to make the call and arrange for the exchange of money, that he would give the location of where Elizabeth was being kept. It's important to note that no money was ever exchanged, and the identity of the second man, if there even was a second man, is still a mystery. Another potential suspect, who was questioned in the infancy of this investigation, was arrested and held in county jail for outstanding traffic tickets. It's unclear why he was ultimately ruled out as a suspect, but his appearance coupled with the make and color of his vehicle were a match for our suspect. There was one final person who was questioned with regards to Elizabeth's abduction, a man by the name of Robert Douglas Turley, but he was not a match. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but I believe Robert Turley was associated with another disappearance at the time, and so they questioned him. That's why they pulled him in. Yes, and questioned him with her abduction. On Saturday, October 27th, four days after Elizabeth had been abducted, her parents held a press conference where they begged for the safe return of their daughter. The family held several vigils for Elizabeth during the month of November, and despite their divorce, Linda and David worked together in their efforts to bring their daughter home safely. The Dallas Morning News put out a full-page poster with Elizabeth's face and reward information, which had been raised to $15,000. Curiously enough, though, it didn't include details of her assailant or the vehicle, and I'm going to pull that up and show you guys what her poster looked like, just so you guys can see it. Why didn't they add any, like information about like the assailant or the vehicle on that i don't think they would want people looking for that i don't have any information on that however i'm wondering if maybe the police just wanted to keep that close to the vest yeah maybe so they wouldn't run off or yeah how is the second man still a mystery if, if there was a second man i don't think there was a second man i think it was some guy trying to get attention well did the boys ever say anything about a second man because well, did they even... No, I think the... I think that this man heard about the abduction and was trying to capitalize off of it. Oh, That's okay. the vibe I get from it. Okay. On December 21st, 1979, which would have been Elizabeth's eighth birthday, a set of skeletonized remains were found and reported to authorities. The report, which came in from a rural area of Van Zandt County, stated that the remains had been scattered along a dirt road. Nearby clothes were found matching the likeness of the ones Elizabeth had been wearing the day she disappeared. It is believed that the body was placed in this location with no intent to conceal or hide that it was dumped, and that the scattered nature was due to animals that had been scavenging the area. Authorities in Van Zandt County were familiar with the missing Dallas girl's case and immediately notified Dallas PD of the discovery. Elizabeth's family was notified as well. Dental records ultimately verified the family's greatest fear. The remains were Elizabeth. There are several things to note that the medical examiner reported in his findings. The first being that Elizabeth's ribs appeared to be slightly disfigured, which he believed indicated the passing of a bullet. And there were wounds found to the head that were believed to have been knife wounds. This is supported by cuts found in the child's clothing. 
The medical examiner ruled Elizabeth's cause of death to be two gunshot wounds to the chest. There was no suggestion of sexual assault. However, that could have been due to the body's state of decomposition. Oh, my gosh. Like, why? If if it's not going to be, like, sex-driven you know creepers then why like what are you why are you gonna take us why, out why would you just take a child and kill kill that poor child i mean i just don't understand and between knife wounds and gunshot and wounds, gunshot. that's overkill like knife wounds in the head i mean that's just horrible well that one um witness that one witness said that it looked like he was hitting something in the back i wonder if he was if she was trying to fight back or something yeah. he just started like stabbing her in the head or something i mean who knows Ugh. he could have had it could have been with anything it, it may not i don't know that's, it's so terrible to think. It is she terrible. was seven years old and probably terrified. Yeah. Elizabeth Lynn Barkley was laid to rest on December 30th, 1979. A young girl taken way, way too soon. Yes. Her family has spent the last 43 years without resolution. Her mother, Linda, sadly passed away from cancer in 2005. Mm. In 2019, the Texas Rangers reopened Elizabeth's case and have been making efforts to breathe new life into this very cold case. There's likely no connection between Elizabeth and her murderer, and today he would likely be in his 70s. So who knows if he's still alive? I'm not sure. Mm. I'd like for his ass to rot in prison. Yes. Well, if he's not alive, his ass is probably rotten in hell because anybody that would ever do that to a child, that's exactly where they deserve to go. Yes, they exactly. do. Do you guys have anything that you would like to input or questions that you would like to raise before we get into the final little bit here? Oh, it's uh, just sad. I just, I mean, I just think it's so sad. And for her poor mother to pass away without answers. Is her father still alive? Yes, as far as I know. And how how much guilt she probably carried knowing that she sent her daughter to the store. I just think of it from a mother's perspective. If it was my child, I would never forgive myself. And I'm not saying it's her fault. She did nothing wrong. This is just an mm-hmm. average um, errand that this little girl would run. It is by no means her mother's fault. It is yeah. the sicko's fault. But I just feel like as a mother, if it were either of my children, I, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know how I could have lived with the guilt of that. I just don't know what the the man's intentions were. I can say that they were not honest. No. Well, he was a sick individual, that's for sure. There is a $6,000 reward for any information that leads to the arrest and sentencing of Elizabeth's murder. If you or anyone you know has any information regarding the abduction and murder of Elizabeth Lynn Barkley, please call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-252-TIPS. You can also submit a tip online via the Texas Rangers cold case website, reference number 263, unsolved. What's your theory? 